Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Risky Behavior, where no subject is off limits. Sit back, tune in, and enjoy a beverage with us as we explore controversial issues and answer your health and wellness-related concerns, ranging from nutrition and exercise to sex and prescription drugs. I'm here with co-host Dr. Shetha Chakraborty, who's a national media risk expert, as seen on CNN, the BBC, Fox News, and more. But don't just think this hour is all science as usual. After four seasons as a regular guest and food scientist on The Dr. Oz Show, Dr. Taylor Wallace, who the Huffington Post calls the nation's premier food and nutrition guru, will help me loosen lips and spill tea with special guests that you won't want to miss. So the reason our special guest is here, who we'll introduce in a moment, is because today was the National Cannabis Festival's Policy Summit, where there was content from uh, racial history of cannabis to policy regulation to how to create a sustainable production method as we go forward towards legalizing across states and at a federal level. And that was a panel that I was fortunate enough to be invited to participate in. And one of my panelists was Andrew Black. Andrew Black is with Certified Kind. He is from Oregon, and he is also the executive director of Sun and Earth, based out of California, which is a nonprofit. Thank you so much, Andrew, for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you. It's my pleasure. (laughs) And if you ever thought everybody in Washington, D.C. was completely buttoned up, just know we're the ones that have the cannabis festival. Exactly. (laughs) Anyway, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about what brought you to D.C., how you've been enjoying D.C., what is specific about the festival that brought you here, um, how you plan to, how long are you staying? How how long are you going to be involved? Well, so far, D.C. has been amazing. I I don't think there's any place like it on the planet where you have such a high concentration of museums and awesome architecture. Sure. (laughs) These people. So, I mean, it's been great. I'm here for the National Cannabis Policy Summit. And, uh, you know, we had our our panel today. And I, I don't know about you, but, well, I can tell you that that was probably the most intellectual cannabis conference that I've ever been to. Interesting, really? So how many cannabis conferences are there? Actually, I was wondering about that. I kind of thought this was the premier one. It's been around for four years in Washington, D.C. But what else is out there and how long, how well attended are they? Because this one seemed pretty well attended. This one, this one was pretty well attended. There are probably cannabis conferences every weekend. Oh, really? Yes. And, you know, some of them are big, like the Emerald Cup um, Mm -hmm. in uh, Santa Rosa, California. That's like a, a grower ganja cup. Oh, wow. um, where there's a whole judging aspect to it and trade show. There's one in Las Vegas that's ginormous. I would just assume so, being Vegas. Mm-hmm. What isn't ginormous in Vegas? I'm speaking at um, one in New Orleans in June. Um, so, you know, to, if you wanted to check out some of these cannabis conferences or festivals it's every weekend. Well, and the big takeaway from what he just said is he actually said that people from Washington, D.C. were nice. He's definitely never stood on the left side of an elevator er, escalator. <laughs> yeah, it must be very different. And he's definitely never place. given directions to where the White House is. See that big white thing over there? It's white for a reason. Okay, so so I am going to be completely blunt here. I am not, uh, I'm, I'm fine with, guided drug usage that is aligned to best practices. That's as far as I'll go with that. I am not a user of cannabis products. 
I have learned a lot about it recently. Honestly, I've tried it and it just does not have a good impact. I get the worst effects that you can possibly experience, like anxiety, paranoia, all of it. So I've dabbled in it. I haven't had good effects. Yeah, that sucks for you. Yeah. No, and I, I know. And I and everybody keeps telling me I just haven't found the right combination or whatever. Maybe try CBD first and then try cannabis. But I'm curious. Okay, so when you figure it out for you, what is the actual benefits of it? So we, leading up to kicking off this show live, tried CBD hemp oil. And I was more than open-minded, despite what I just said, to experience it because I'd like to see what the combination is and what the real benefit could feel like and be that would be a positive one and so I took a little bit so did you Taylor Mm -hmm. and and our guide here (laughs) our guide here Andrew was explaining to us what it is where it came from and what's it gonna do so I'm sure I still I'm still here I'm talking coherently as far as I can tell there's no psychoactive impacts that I'm experiencing um I don't know if I really feel anything yet what should what what should I be feeling or shouldn't I be feeling? I feel good. You feel yeah. Good? yeah, I feel great. I mean, that could be the two glasses of wine I have, but it could be the CBD. What are the interaction effects though? There's so many questions. We're the scientists. We should have some answers to this, but we don't. And the reason is because this isn't regulated yet. Right. And I tell you what, one of the things that really gets me about CBD is that cannabis has been a class one scheduled drug for years. So we haven't really had the opportunity as researchers to investigate the health effects of CBD, which we know, especially in epileptic children, is very effective. You mean cannabis? Well, and CBD. And CBD. Yeah, and yeah. CBD, uh, yeah. But, but CBD is the, the compound within cannabis that has the health effects. Right. Like, right. Yeah. THC is the one that has the psychoactive effects. So if you're taking CBD from hemp oil, you don't get the THC that has the Correct. psychoactive effects. Which right. we talked about last no week. No psychoactive effects in this. And But the other interesting thing is that this is absolutely a novel, new product in the marketplace, right? We've never had right. CBD oil that you can just take a dropper full before right. the last couple of years, right? Yeah. So, I mean, your point is totally right on, is that we don't know a lot about CBD oil right. yet. And I think that's kind of what well, the I would, FDA is sort of their well, stance on. I will tell you one thing. I was playing at Kickball Nationals <laughs> on Martin Luther King weekend in Vegas, and I pulled my back first day, and I'm the pitcher. <laughs> hey. <laughs> and no, seriously, I pulled my back really bad, dove for a ball. And I tell you what, I went to one of the local dispensaries, bought one of these little dropper things of CBD, pure CBD, took a couple dropperfuls of it. And I tell you what, I played awesome the next day. My back was not yeah. an issue. I mean, it really, really helped, like, kind of chill. A lot of athletes use yeah. cannabis products, whether it's CBD or THC dominant right. products, but I think it really does help yeah. uh, heal the body from things like that. And you know, the other reason I really got into CBD, I was at the Produce for Better Health Foundation meeting last year, and it's this whole nonprofit organization that's really trying to rally people to eat more fruits and vegetables. And I met this really lovely nutrition scientist. She's a nutritionist. Um, her name is Janice Bissex. Her tagline is Cannabis Janice. She's a dietitian <laughs> that works specifically on CBD. And she's done a lot of work with Parkinson's patients. And my dad has, an, a, very, has a very aggressive Parkinson's disease. And, you know, so I put her in touch with him. And he's been on these same little droppers of CBD. And he's really responded well. Mm. I don't know if it's necessarily slowed the progression of the disease. 
but it's chilled him out a little bit because he was really high strung and always got on everybody's nerves. Love you, Dad. But now he's just a little bit more sit back in the chair and relax and have a conversation than what he was. So I think it's a win-win for all. I mean, there's real benefits here, and I can appreciate yeah. that. And we're talking anecdotally. I would love to have some real empirical evidence. And that's not going to happen until it's real, it's sanctioned and allowed by the states and at the federal level. I think there's a real need for that. And we are doing a disservice to everyone who could really benefit from some of the um, so the uses of this, this these products. Well, Absolutely. And it's really up to companies to fund the research because right now, federally, NIH can't fund the research. You know, the government agencies can't fund CBD research right now yeah. until they get their appropriate regulations in place, things like that. It's so, so it's complicated. A, it's a big you, have turn, you have to turn to other countries right now to get uh, right. high quality research on the therapeutic benefits of right. uh CBD or THC or, you know, there's right. more than just CBD and THC. There's all sorts of terpenes right. um, that right. are expressed in the plant that cause, that have therapeutic benefits too. Okay. So can we talk a little bit about, his expertise is so interesting. He is, uh, you're, you are an organic, USD, USDA organic certified. I Finish was, this for me. Yeah, I was a USDA organic inspector and worked for a U USDA accredited uh, organic certification agency for the past 13 years. Okay. Yeah. And so what we were talking about on the panel today amongst uh, many topics that came up was how do we produce cannabis products sustainably? Right. And so very, very wide kind of scope of conversation. And you were coming at it from a, we need to protect the small scale farming component mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about why that's so important for you? Yeah, I think that, you know, there's a whole network of communities that um, are threatened right now because of legalization. And these are your small homestead family farms, right. mostly in, in areas where they've been um, doing medical cannabis for uh, the past 20 years. So right. Northern California and Oregon is my Washington epicenter, State, yeah. Washington State and Colorado. But so there's these uh, traditional gr um, farmers are... These are the people that laid the groundwork and they're getting left out of the Yeah, big ag is going to take over as yeah. soon as there's a profit. Yeah. And so so we're trying to um, carve out a niche for these farmers to grow uber or ultra organic, sustainable methods, farming methods that work right. on a small scale um, so that there's a place for these farmers. Otherwise... What you know, happens to them? It's a tale as old as time. We've seen it time and yeah. again and with so many products. Well, y'all better get some big DC lobbyists on that and shell out some dollars <laughs> and some PAC funds. And for those of you who don't know what a PAC fund is, that's a political action committee. That's how you donate money <laughs> to your senator or representative that will push a bill in your favor for giving them a little loose change. So the pharmaceutical <laughs> companies are against... Uh, legalization. Well, Mitch McConnell needs some of this. <laughs> but he, Mitch McConnell, I found some Apex CBD hemp oil that's he, perfect you know for you. He's all about <laughs> secretly. So it's not made in Kentucky. It's the stuff that's made in Oregon. So we're gonna have to get on that. But you know. Well, that's another thing. I was saying today how you want to just be as if you really care about sustainable, make sure you source your products as close to you as possible. But that's yeah. not always a luxury right. that people like have. Knowing your farmer, if we all knew right. our farmer right. and, and trusted we agreed our there. farmer then there would be no need for certification yeah. involved. Right. But because, you know, the supply network gets so long, and if you're an end consumer, how do you know that it wasn't sprayed with pesticides or fungicides? And how do you, if you care about, you know, whether it was grown with synthetic fertilizers or organic fertilizers, how would you be able to make that choice? So that's where a third-party certification can help. 
Right. Big pharmaceutical companies, I'm curious about your opinion here, is are trying to prevent legalization. They are? I suppose. Well, because they can basically take THC or CBD or whatever, take it through the drug pipeline mm -hmm. and make it into a drug, and then they have pretty much exclusive rights over it yes. for a very long gotcha. time. And so they try to prevent a lot of things. It's very, very common in the dietary supplement industry. Right. Because, as I mean, because it's drug competition. I, there, these cannabis products would be competition for chemical molecular compounds that the pharmaceutical companies produce. So in a weird way, this is a uh, aligning of big pharma and the small farmers that you're talking yeah. about. It's a, it's a very strange, complex landscape. Did you see that like that little ad they had all over Twitter, the big pharma th stuff where like, no, you know, you me. shouldn't allow imported drugs because they're so unsafe from Canada and stuff like that. Yeah, like, well, exactly. Or they're just cheaper than your shit. Right. <laughs> like, okay. Ultimately, they're trying to protect okay, their bottom farm. line and right, cannabis yeah. legalization would hurt their bottom line. Right, right. And that's like, a, it's, it's counterintuitive. You know, some people at big pharma could probably use some of this stuff too. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, not very many people trust Big Pharma right now. Yeah. I mean. As as a lot of. So same with tobacco. What did you think about some of the comments that were made earlier today on our panel about how potentially tobacco farmers who have lost a lot of opportunity or have have moved on to other crops mm -hmm. could then replace or pick up on the opportunity that would be cannabis production? What yeah. do you think about that? Well, I think they were talking about it specifically uh, replacing uh, one crop with industrial hemp, right? Mm -hmm. Hemp, not uh, adult use cannabis or medical right. cannabis. So not high THC cannabis, but low, very low THC, high CBD cannabis mm -hmm. for industrial hemp. Sure. Right. So I think that's, for now, I think that's a great option for a lot of farms. In fact, we're seeing, you know, last year in the United States, there were tens of thousands of acres in industrial hemp. This year, there'll be over 100,000 right. acres uh, in my state and Oregon alone, yeah. most likely. Well, so, I mean, there's a hemp bubble right now. Well, and you see that a lot in Kentucky. I mean, I grew up on a tobacco farm. Hey, nutrition scientists grew up on a tobacco farm. I didn't farm. know you grew yeah. up on a tobacco farm. I grew up on a tobacco farm. farm. Interesting. Uh -huh. My family's known for Burley Tobacco in Kentucky, and they sell straight to Philip Morse. Um and, you know, they're starting to think maybe we should start hemp instead of tobacco. I'll tell you why. Because they're able to get, uh, last year, like $40 a pound for just the biomass. Right. $40 a pound is really high. Some people were able to get $300 a pound it's, for the top flower. It's really, yeah, it's really, really high right now. But see what I worry about, and it kind of brings us into this whole discussion we were having before the show on pricing. Because once this stuff goes legal and once there's regulations around it, you can ferment CBD, you can synthetically create CBD. We've got hemp farmers in Kentucky that are going to start growing hemp everywhere. You've got cannabis producers in, in Oregon and Southern or Northern California and Washington State that have even went the route of genetically modifying high CBD like plants. And so it's going to really flood the market. And what's that going to do to these, again, small farmers? Um, it, it's going to really, I think, crush them for the moment because the market's going to be so saturated with CBD. I mean, I can't tell you how many companies come to me every week with like, oh, I've got this grand idea about putting CBD or hemp or THC in something. I mean, it's 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 a pretty common yeah, thing. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that just oh, speaks yeah. to it being such a hot trend right now. Yeah. I mean, I was on a farm... Uh, a couple months ago, 
and the guy was getting phone calls from, he got two phone calls while I was with him. One from South Africa, the other one from Ireland, mm-hmm. trying to see yeah. if they could broker right. um, a deal for industrial hemp. Right. Right. So this is unheard of. This is a new trend that's sweeping the United States, but not just the United States, the world. Right. And that's that's exactly what the U.S. is kind of primed for. And then well, the pro- point I was making um, earlier today was that there are a lot of methods. What we don't want to see is the cannabis industry fall into the same pattern that has happened so many times over and the infighting about the method and the production right. of the product then resulting in increased distrust and misperceptions and erroneous information that's being put out by those who are trying to be winners when there is a market for everyone to have some piece of. And that is something we are, we're, it, it, we're, we are in a capitalist society still and everybody is going to want to maximize their profit. And if there is a demand, there's going to be industrial production of, mm-hmm. of cannabis. So right. how do we protect those in the small, and they have a right to be players, but then why don't those who are going to be figuring out how to ferment cannabinoids through engineering algae and other um, yeast, why should they be left out of the opportunity of creating that final product if once it's regulated can be certified as safe and ultimately what we want is those products to get out to those who want them, mm-hmm. um, those who would benefit from them. Why should any production method be left off the table? I'm not, I, I think everybody has a right to play at this point, but we need to do it in a way that is equitable and fair. Mm-hmm. And ultimately equitable and fair really kind of steps stands on the shoulders and kind of steamrolls those um, that you're concerned about, which I completely appreciate and respect the historically, that has the small farmers, yeah. um, those who don't have the ability to be able to scale. But if the demand is there, then it would be a disservice to the planet to not scale. Economies of scale would say that in that case, creating having these small farms all over the place is much worse to create a product that is in such high demand. Mm-hmm. But we want this product to be in high demand ultimately, right? I mean, well, I think or depend- don't we? I think it depends on how it's grown. So if you have... Uh, thousands of small farmers growing hemp and they're doing it in a very conscious way that's not um, polluting streams, watersheds, or, you know, spraying chemicals that affect farm workers um, or could get on the final product. If, if it's if it's a responsible way of farming, then um, that I don't think we need to, for the sake of economy of scale, just have a huge, uh, you know, hemp farm in the middle of the United States or something and leave those players aside. Right. Um, right. And I also think that there's more to what's in like this oil than just CBD because this is, this is a cold press oil. Oh my so God. What are you going to tell me is in there? <laughs> <laughs> well, guess what? No, this is a, it's a full spec. They call it like right now the term they're using is full spectrum mm-hmm. and there's not just CBD in here, but there's terpenes, you know, sec- other secondary compounds in plants that give it sort of aroma and flavor. Um, and like I was saying earlier, you know, those have therapeutic benefits that we're just starting to learn about. Like you've right. probably heard of like uh, linalool um, as a terpene or um, there's one. Uh, Lots human, of flavonoids human, in there as well. Like Things hops. I work with very, very commonly. Yeah. In hemp. So I guess, um, you know, my point was just that let's not just jump into technology trying to recreate what mother nature has already created so why isn't that a pro- why isn't that a unique market in itself the same way artisanal products are really popular across all food products or you know generally speaking can isn't there a market for artisanal 
canvas products that would really showcase that unique feature? That's what we're trying to do with Sun and Earth Certified is create a truly green market. And we're starting in California. Right. And um, so one of the brands that's going to lead the way is called Brother David's. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a uh, project that David Bronner from uh, Dr. Bronner's Magic Soap Company is taking on. And so they're basically buying cannabis from these small sustainable farms in Northern California. They're like off grid growing right. vegetables and pota- you know, potatoes and lettuce. I'm sure cannabis. they're just growing hemp up in there in California. <laughs> uh, and so, um, I know y'all West coast folks. <laughs> and so anyway, it's a really cool project because they're actually trying to promote, um, and help these small scale farmers. Right. So in that case, we're trying to create a small niche, right. of artisanal, artisanally grown cannabis. So oh. I don't know if that will work with hemp, though. Right. Because there's no scale on how big a hemp farm can get in any of the states yet. Right, right. Whereas there's limits on how big of a canopy space that THC cannabis right. can have. Well, and actually, that might be a way to really help small farms if you think about regulations for tobacco. I mean, tobacco um, farms are only are regulated where they can only produce so many acres. Mm. And so it actually keeps demand up. Right. And also, what about the displacement of other crops? What is your opinion? That's interesting. You know, we're not increasing land, right? Like the land, uh, land, agricultural and farming land has barely increased uh, since the 1900s. And, and, you know, California and Oregon, Washington, that's where all our fruits and vegetables come from. So instead of creating all these fruits and vegetables, they're (laughs) just going to like be rolling blunts up there. I mean, what? So this is is an example (laughs) of misinformation that's out there because that is a real fear. So the percentage of acreage that's used for tobacco, let's say, which is an example that I compare cannabis to, um, however accurate that could be, it's still a drop in the bucket in terms of the total acreage used for farming in the United States. Yeah. It's it's small. I get that. So a fear out there is, oh my God, marijuana is going to take over our like fruits and vegetables in the Central Valley of California. Well, I don't think that's going to happen because of the, right now, because of the state regulation they have on how big these cannabis farms can be and also the licensing speed, licensing. Speed. Right. And also so in California, like just a minimum license like minimum cost would be around forty to fifty thousand dollars to get into the adult oh, use cannabis right. farming, and so I haven't heard about a lot of people switching from crops like grapes or wheat to medical or high THC cannabis. But I have seen and heard that farmers are switching from uh, conventionally grown wheat or or cranberries to they want to grow USDA organic cannabis or hemp. Sorry, What's the hemp. reasoning there? Because they see it as a market opportunity. Sure. And because they see that, like you said, there's going to be a glut of CBD on the market. And so they're trying to find a niche. Right. Well, you know, all the cannabis, all the hemp is going to be grown in Kentucky now. Because you know Mitch yeah. McConnell got that under control. Well, that's the honey. thing. What happens when Kentucky <laughs> picks up the industrial production of cannabis and then just completely so destroys funny, California? Well, well, places so, like Switzerland need uh, CBD too. Well, you know, that's it's right. so funny having growing up in Kentucky. And I think I said this last week. It is so funny to me that... Like, hemp was just like marijuana when I was growing up as a kid. Right. Like, but now that Mitch McConnell says it's okay, okay, we're going to grow cannabis. So forget what your Southern Baptist Church says. Like, cannabis is good now. So who would have thought Mitch 
Mitch McConnell, big pharma and the small farmers have something in common. Like, what is that thing? Everybody can chant like yeah. hemp at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> so I have one question on the um, CBD thing, because I do a lot of work with the alcohol and particularly the beer industry. And they're very worried about, particularly with marijuana, not necessarily CBD or hemp, any type of synergistic effect or for instance, when you smoke pot, it could enhance the effect of alcohol. And I don't know. I feel pretty good right now. I don't know whether it's the wine or the CBD <laughs> so or maybe a it's a mixer and like really took it up. So I thought I'd just ask the I question. I think there's a combination of company, <laughs> ambiance, wine, Walker Black. So, so, <laughs> so is that little CBD oil that I just took with my glass of wine? Is that why I'm feeling so good? Maybe. I mean, are your hands tingling a little bit? No, not my hands aren't tingling a little bit. But I we mean, do no. not recommend trying this at home. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's the best. Actually, place. we do recommend <laughs> trying this at home, just while you're not in the car. Yes. <laughs> do not CBD and drive. Right. But Actually, I, I think your point, like you know, to like get a little serious, is like yeah, if you if you're mixing alcohol. And high THC cannabis can be a problem, you know, uh, right. if you, if yeah. you take too much, then you can feel paranoid, right? you know, and not have a good experience. So you can get too much CBD. I didn't realize that. Oh, I was thinking more THC. I oh, more yeah. THC. Yeah. I was like, oh, you can definitely get paranoid with THC. Yeah. I mean, I think that has and been. And from a nutrition perspective, you eat a lot of pizza, so it's probably not Right. And there's the whole, the, the munchies thing is for real too, right? <laughs> no, I, these things have been, even though we haven't been able to research them in the way that we've wanted to, or should be able to, uh, it's, it's been well-documented. We know the benefits, we know the risks associated with it, all of these things anecdotally are, and there's, you know, centuries of evidence that has built up on this. So that's fair enough. And a lot of this is kind of even just word of mouth that we're passing along. But what I'm most curious about before we, and we will get to the point where we actually have proper empirical evidence and we really are able to understand the true benefits and risks associated with it, still blows my mind we're allowed to drink alcohol and not smoke. Right. cannabis it's like mine well, we don't need to smoke it we need to just put it in a or brownie just right. or something like that because we cannabis. don't want the socks knocks and cocks <laughs> i mean maybe gay people want the cocks but <laughs> i'm sending <laughs> oxides of sulfur nitrogen and carbon we don't want the socks knocks and cocks <laughs> like anything never i know you so well and yeah i learned something new every week yeah oxides of sulfur oxides of carbon oxides of you need to teach me the periodic nitrogen. table. Not good for your body, whether it's from cigarette smoke or marijuana smoke. So we should always have edibles or these little drops. I'm going to give a shout out to Apex for this amazing CBD hemp oil. I tried it myself. It's Dr. Taylor Wallace approved. Um, <laughs> and so to close out, I just want to ask, is there any final like leave away take home message that you want our viewers to know about when it comes to hemp oil production, what you've learned from this conference here in D.C., where you think things need to go. What's your final thoughts? Yeah. Uh, you remember that part in uh, that movie Braveheart? Yeah. At the end where he's like, freedom! <laughs> freedom! <laughs> yes. I'll just end it that, that way. Freedom! There you go. <laughs> there you go. Watch this space. See where we are talking about this in five years, ten years. It's going to be a very <laughs> different discussion, very different landscape. We'll right. be arguing over who... Um, is able to produce the most and why they should benefit from that. And you know what, honey? Mitch McConnell will probably still be here. Yeah. <laughs> He's going nowhere. He's going Somebody's nowhere. propping him up. Somebody's you know just going to wear him as I a costume. I think they just plasticize him like they do them bodies exhibits in Vegas. That's a wrap for today. Have ideas for the show? Tweet us at Dr. Taylor Wallace. That's D R T. 
T-A-Y-L-O-R-W-A-L-L-A-C-E and me at Shweta C. That is S-W-E-T-A-C. Thank you for tuning in to Risky Behavior.